Hey there. If you heard our first episode, you know, I'm trying to figure out what health insurance my family can get for next year. And we're lucky. One way or another, we're going to be able to get some kind of health insurance plan. But according to this study I just read, we're probably going to pick the wrong one. Picking the right one is so hard that the economist who did the study I read, he says he's in the same boat. His son is turning 26 this year and can't stay on the family plan. Dad, the economist, will pick the new one. And... Despite doing research on this, I'm truly dreading having to make this decision. I have no confidence that I'm going to end up making the right decision. That gloomy outlook comes from George Lowenstein. He's a professor at Carnegie Mellon. And here is the story of how he and a couple of colleagues figured out exactly how screwed we are. Oh, uh, wait, first... I did find a glimmer of hope at the end, so stay with me. This is An Arm and a Leg, a show about the cost of healthcare. I'm Dan Weissman. A few years ago, George was doing some consulting work for a big company, and... I can't remember how it came about, but somehow um, it, it became clear that they would be willing to give me access to their um, employees' health insurance choices. When you're an economist... This is like realizing that your client would be willing to give you access to a bunch of tickets to Hamilton or something. Because this is a big company. George can't tell me which one. But it has tens of thousands of employees. So getting this data was a chance to observe a lot of people making big, real-life economic choices. He was like, you bet. But at first... Well, I wasn't really sure um, what to do with the data. He started brainstorming with a colleague. I got a list of the plans that the employees were eligible to choose between just a table of the different plans. There were 48 different plans, different deductibles, different premiums, different co-pays, percentages, hundreds of numbers. And his colleague, this other super smart economist, just took it in all at once. It was like a Rain Man moment. He looked at the table And I would say within 30 seconds, he said, this is a very strange table because most of these plans wouldn't make sense for anybody. The plans wouldn't make sense for anybody. What does that mean? So usually we think about health insurance as kind of a bet about what you are going to need in the next year. You think you're going to need a lot of medical care? Maybe it's worth paying more per month because you'll get more coverage and that saves you money in the end. Or, and this is what a lot of us do, maybe you just want to pay less per month and you hope nothing goes wrong. But a lot of these plans, most of them, weren't a good bet either way. You would end up overpaying, no matter what. In other words, most of these plans objectively sucked. So I I didn't see it, but he saw it almost immediately. (laughs) And so he looked at the table and right away he was like, Well, you know, what's cool is most of these plans suck. I don't think he's somebody who would use the word suck, but um, I wouldn't wouldn't describe him as particularly proper, but I don't think (laughs) that wasn't probably how he described it. But I'm sure he was really excited. (laughs) At that moment, we realized that we had an interesting project on our hands. George and his colleague had stumbled onto data that could test out one of those big ideas in economics. Do people make good choices when you give them all the facts? They started digging through the data to see how people responded to all those options. First question. Did these people make good choices? 
Did they avoid the plans that objectively sucked? Yeah, no. 61% of them chose plans that sucked. 61%. George and his colleague were like, whoa, what exactly is going on here? Really, how can 61% of people be making this kind of choice? They wondered, do people even understand the choices they're making at all? So they dug a little deeper. First, they set up a study where they just gave people a quiz on what they thought of as basic stuff about health insurance. What's a deductible? What's a copay? What's coinsurance? Stuff like that. We just asked them to answer some multiple choice questions, and people were just hopelessly bad. The average person does not understand health insurance at all. Yeah, right. Okay. That's a problem. And in this case, George and his colleagues saw there was another problem, another obstacle to people making good choices. And that is the menu they got for choosing plans. It was very difficult to see what things were costing them. Basically, it started by asking, what do you want your deductible to be? Okay, great. What do you want your copay to be? Okay, great. Blah, 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 more choices. And then you get to the end. And it's like, here's what your monthly premium will be. So let's say you were curious about how would my copay be different if I chose a different deductible. They had to go back and make all of those decisions for a different set of choices. So it sounds like it was a little bit like, let's design you a car. Do you want Bluetooth? Do you want fancy rims? Great. Pick off the menu. If you want this, you can have it. And then we'll tell you the price at the end. That's right. And then if you want to know how much the rims are costing you, you have to re-enter all of the information, but change from rims to no rims. So it was a very cumbersome website. And it gave all sorts of advice. And a lot of the advice, probably most of the advice, was bad advice. So it was kind of like, you want some rims? Uh, Chicks really dig nice rims. That's right. In a situation where the rims cost a ridiculous amount, where you could go to your local rim shop and get the rims for much, much less. George and his colleagues decided to try another test. What if the menu was less terrible? Like, what if we just put all the numbers right in front of people? Yeah, that didn't work. Well, then, What if we reduce the number of choices from 48 to just four? Didn't matter. Yeah, we did all these things to simplify the decision for people. And we never got um, people to make very sensible choices, no matter how simple we made the choices. Until they did something else. Did all the math for people. Because just showing people the raw numbers, even when you gave them fewer choices... In order to compare those choices, they still had to do some calculating. And in order to even know what calculating to do, they had to understand health insurance. They had to be able to pass that quiz most people had flunked. So George and his colleagues tried one more scenario. This time, they did the calculations, factored in all the variables, the premiums, the deductibles, the copays, and just let people compare the answers. We said... If you had very low healthcare spending, this is how much you would pay in total. If you had very high healthcare spending, this is how much you'd pay in total. We showed them those two numbers for each of the plans, and then it was obvious. And then 80% of people made better choices. But they needed it spelled out for them. We, we had to pretty much hit people over the head to get them to make the right choice. Or you could say, we just need someone else, someone who understands health insurance, to do the math for us which is totally reasonable because 
You know who else has trouble doing this math? Economists. Yeah, and when I present this to economics audiences, I'll often put up a slide with the four different plans, and I'll say, like, which of these four plans would you choose? And economists should be able to do the math in their head, and usually I get a range of different responses. That is, a bunch of economists pick plans that suck. This is the math that George's colleague was able to do in his head when he looked at all the choices, 48 of them, and was like, most of these plans suck. My colleague was very brilliant. It just like jumped out of the page at him. But most economists who are perfectly smart, like um, don't get it. You have to explain it to them. So if, if, if economists don't get it, what's the chance that your average healthcare insurance shopper is going to figure it out? Pretty much zero. Yeah. I mean, this is not great news for me. I am your average health insurance shopper. I am actually shopping for health insurance, like, right now. I asked George what to do, and he was like, oh, uh, get help. But he's not sure from who. And, of course, he could use the help, too. He's got his son to shop for, and he's expecting to screw it up. I'm sorry to um, paint such a dire um, picture. (laughs) Yeah, well, this does suck. But I'm pretty resourceful, at least pretty cocky. I think I'm going to find somebody to help. Actually, I've got somebody in mind right after this. Okay, I'm going to ask Lynn Quincy for help here. She runs the Healthcare Value Hub. It's a nonprofit program in Washington, D.C. that compiles tons of information about how the healthcare system screws with us and how we can get a little less screwed. So to start with, she says, George and I are not alone in dreading this task. People would rather do their taxes or go to the gym than shop for health plans. We've done a lot of our own qualitative research on this, and people really want live assistance. And that's because we know we're bad at this. Actually, we think we're even worse than we really are. In some of the focus group work we did, even when people had the right answer, they weren't confident that they had the right answer. They feel that there's something in the fine print they probably missed. So people really want an expert to sit right next to them and help them say this is, in fact, the right health plan. And she says, this is a smart instinct. Me, I walked in kind of overconfident. I asked Lynn, can I just make a spreadsheet with the deductibles and stuff? Your health plan could have different deductibles. It could have a general deductible. It could have a pharmaceutical deductible. It could have a hospital deductible. Uh, you're making me feel like going to yeah. the gym or doing my taxes. Exactly. That's yeah. what, full circle, full circle. Yeah. So we should all want expert help. And unfortunately, as Lynn confirms, there really aren't enough experts to go around. But all hope is not lost. Lynn says, there's this thing out there that can help. It's this website, this tool. It does all the math for us. It was built to help federal employees pick health plans. And actually, it turns out this same tool has been rolled out on the Obamacare exchanges in a few states, including Illinois, where I live. Oh, here it is. Oh, look at this. You know, this isn't available for every state, but this Uh, is exactly where you're shopping, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I noticed that it said 2016. Oh, on that splash page. Oh, yeah. that's bad. We take it for a spin anyway, just for kicks. First, there's some questions to answer. Lynn's got the keyboard. Let's say you okay. don't use tobacco. You're not the member of a tribe. Okay. I'm going to guess you're not pregnant. A few clicks later, we're looking at a bunch of plans. And 
it shows what they'd cost me in an average year and what they'd cost me if I end up with big medical expenses. Oh, so I'm actually surprised it can go this high. <laughs> I am. I it's going to 15. I, wait, how high is it? $15,016. Yeah. Illinois has some really expensive plans. And then we notice something else. That really expensive plan, whether I see the doc a lot or not, it's more expensive than other plans by like $4,000. Like in a non-bad year, that one, so this is one of our plans that objectively sucks. Yeah. We've just found one. I mean, this is it. This site is showing me real numbers, the what am I actually liable to pay for the whole year numbers. This is exactly the information that George Lowenstein found allows us to make good choices, and this exists. This tool exists, and it works. It showed me that's an objectively more expensive health insurance plan. It did all the math for me, all the stuff that made me want to go to the gym or do my taxes, and it even exists in Illinois where I live. Except not this year. What would it take to get it back? A couple days later, I'm talking to Robert Krukov, the guy who made it, and I want to know what it would take to make this tool available everywhere. So what does it cost to make an, a version of this? Like if Illinois called you and was like, hey, we want you back. We want to do this again. Uh, what would it cost to do Illinois? Uh, well, it depends how many uh, insurance plans they have in the state. Uh, you know, other complexities in the state. But I would say it, it has ranged from probably $250,000 for a, a reasonably large state. But in some places, it's, you know, seven or $800,000. So what, what would it cost to do 50 states? To do 50 states? I mean, if, if Warren Buffett was to, you know, call you up and be like, I, I heard about this on an arm and a leg and I want you to do... I, I'm 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 paying for fifty states. Uh, give me your give me your estimate. Yeah, I would guess it would cost probably you know five million dollars, something like that, to do all fifty states. Really, maybe it would be ten million dollars. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's ten million dollars, but uh, you know, I would guess it would be in that ballpark. This sounds like a huge bargain to me. For ten million bucks, we could have this tool in fifty states, at least on the Obamacare exchanges. This thing that allows people to make good choices for health insurance. Uh, Warren Buffett, if you're listening. Meanwhile, if you live in states that Robert works with, Pennsylvania, New Mexico, Vermont for 2019, plus Washington, D.C., you've got his tool. But otherwise, Robert confirms what Lynn and George said. Don't try this at home. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter how smart you are. You can't do it. You can't do it in your head. So what does all this mean for me? My state, Illinois, is not on Robert's list. And I may end up shopping someplace other than the Obamacare exchange. <sighs> well, I tell you what. I will be reporting on my family's shopping experience in the next few weeks. And I want to hear about yours. How are you figuring out what health insurance to get next year? Or are you going to do without? And if you've got a tip, other tools, resources, even if they're just from your state or your employer, send me that too. Send an email or a voice memo to insurance at armandalegshow.com. Be sure to include your contact info when they want to ask you some follow-up questions. There's also a spot on our website where you can tell your story. And bonus, we've also got links to resources you might find helpful, including this. Anna Jo Beck from Chicago wrote in after hearing our first episodes. She sent a link to a zine, a self-published booklet. That's a health insurance how-to. She and her husband became experts when he got diagnosed with cancer. She says he's fine now. 
It is smart and thoughtful, and it is sprinkled with lovingly captioned pictures of stuff like toddlers and kittens and newlyweds, including a 98-year-old bride kissing her 94-year-old groom. And Anna describes these extras as some moments of cute, heartwarming distraction to keep you from wanting to totally give up hope. Anna Jobeck is an arm and a leg kind of healthcare nerd. And speaking of not giving up hope, in our next episode, we head to the Renaissance Fair. Have you gotten the chance to speak with Robin Hood yet? Robin! Come forward! Folks who work in that world have made two and a half million bucks worth of medical bills disappear. That is next time on An Arm and a Leg. Till then, take care of yourself. This is An Arm and a Leg, a show about the cost of healthcare. I'm Dan Weissman. I produced this episode, and I am here to thank some folks. First, thanks to everyone who has shared about the show on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and has reviewed us and rated us on iTunes. I see you. Second, thanks to folks who have sent in stories and reflections. I hear you. We'll share some samples here in the next few weeks. And thank you to some of our new Patreon supporters. You pledge two bucks a month or more, and you get a shout-out in this spot. So let's get started. Thank you, Alexander Russo, Amy Levin and Robert Horowitz, Brendan David, The Best of the Left, Clover Morell, Cy Sack, Daisy Arashiba, Elizabeth Dufferin, Emily Aikler, Frank Robinson, Glenn Gallagher, Glenn Goldman, Heather Lally, Joe Mason, John Wilson, Justin Levins, Larry Moss, Lisa Poirier, Liz Mason, Matthew Schmidt, Maureen Kelleher, Max Miller, Paul Brown, Raymond Linden, Shannon Roth, Thomas Kern, Tyler Clark, and Jesse Dukes. Thank you. You are making it possible to pay the collaborators who make this show as good as it can possibly be. Speaking of, our editor is Whitney Henry Lester. Daisy Rosario is our consulting producer. Adam Raimonda is our audio wizard. Our music is by Dave Weiner. And this tune you're hearing right now is War of Amusements by Chicago's Muka Pazza. Sean O'Neill of Boiler Room Studios designed our visual identity. Thanks so much to the generous donors who have made our launch possible. Thanks to Public Narrative for acting as fiscal sponsor for our launch, allowing those donations to be tax deductible. Thank you. To borrow a phrase from former Vice President Joe Biden, it's a big f***ing deal. <laughs>